Game on on 2FM with Green Firm. Fuel your day with Green Firm's new high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavour. And a very good evening. Thank you very much to Jenny Green and the team. It is Monday, December 6th, and you're very welcome to Game On. We have a very busy hour ahead, as always. Plenty to reflect upon from the weekend gone by. Stephen Elliott and Alan Cawley will be with us to chat all matters soccer. Uh, a win for Newcastle, late drama for Liverpool. And for Manchester United fans, if you read some of the match reports over the weekend, what must feel like Christmas come early. Mason Greenwood in a tight spot. It's free! He's some man, that Ralph Ragnick. He even taught, or even taught Harry Maguire the pass in a couple of days. It was amazing to watch. We'll be talking two different types of horsepower as well. Patrick Mullins will join us to reflect on a remarkable weekend for his family on the race course, but we'll also be reflecting on one of the most eventful Formula One races as Lewis Hamilton ensured that the Formula One Drivers' Championship will go to the wire next weekend. Going for it again at turn 27, and Hamilton has now got past Verstappen. Lap 43 of this race, Hamilton now leads from Max Verstappen. Hamilton is going to give us level pegging in the championship as he comes home to win the first Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So all of that and much more for us to get involved in. You can text the programme. Our number is 51552 or you can tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. So Marie Crow's having one last dance before the discos close and she's not on tonight. Damien, it's a pleasure to be on with you. It was a... It was a it was a very entertaining weekend of sport. I mean, I was absorbed in the horse racing, but by the sounds of it, you were absorbed in the Grand Prix. Uh, I loved it. And do you know what it is? It's so good that it's actually exciting again. Do you remember, like, I, I back in the time when Jordan were doing their thing, and you could actually watch races, and it wasn't all about who was going to go into the first corner, and whoever went into the first corner was going to win the race. And you had Schumacher taking lads off the track, you had crashes, you had all sorts of great drama. And I think this season is the first season in a long, long time that you're back to that level of unpredictability and not quite sure what's going to happen, which it probably badly needs. It does, because, yeah, it had gotten a bit a bit stale, all right, but I suppose with the drive to survive, educating us all a little bit about Formula 1 racing has most certainly helped the popularity of the sport, Damien. Do you know, the, the strange thing, I was talking to somebody about this earlier on, if you look and people say, like, soccer 30 years ago, maybe a little bit long, maybe, okay, well, we'll try, we'll say 30 years. If you had a phone number for, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever the biggest name in Man United was at the time, you could probably theoretically, local journalists could pick the phone up and could ring a guy and get a quote back in, say, the late 80s. And now you're afraid to look at fellas in mix zones in case some media handler or PR person tears the head off you. But you look at the Formula One. Hamilton rolled out straight away on TV. Verstappen rolled out straight away on TV. All the mechanics and team leaders and team principals who were losing their head in the pit lane rolled out for media, did interviews with everybody. All of the big names are so accessible. They're, like, rolled out straight away. There's no sense... I, okay, come here. There's handlers, and you can see people with dictaphones leaning in to make sure they're not misquoted. But they are far more accessible and open and out there for a sport of its size than an awful lot of other sports, which I think is adding to it greatly. It surely makes it interesting. All right, I find it interesting, though. I suppose when it is a sport that is theoretically owned by one body... Yeah. They probably can ensure or force people, maybe. Oh, I'd say I've no doubt it's part of a participation agreement. But if you look at, like, the same thing exists with, 
you know the rugby there was a launch last week the four Irish provinces well Munster for understandable reasons didn't take part but they had to put their head coach and had to put their captain out same way Champions League nights UEFA's match delegate will come along and will tell Man United I don't care well not Man United they'll tell whoever it is you know you have to put this player out you have to put that player out you have to make so many people available but I just think it's slightly different in the Formula 1 that it doesn't seem to be quite as sanitised as some other sports would be that it's and it's it's not even that thing of you know you look at it yesterday you know Horner and Wolf and all these big team principals straight and like they, they'll stay with Sky who understandably are paying millions for the rights to have them but they'll stay with them for five six seven minutes it's not just a case of you have this footballer for 90 seconds and that's it yeah I know what you mean I often kind of thought I'd said all I wanted to say in 90 seconds but fair play to them they can manage to entertain us it was a massive weekend of course as well um, in the Premier League across the water um, some great games City are gone top I know Alan Cawley is with us what happened to Chelsea I mean you're preaching them week in week out they'd so, they conceded 6 goals in 14 games and they managed to concede 3 in 1 Alan Cawley Mendy all to blame yeah evening Ruby um, they're allowed an off day to be fair but I think if you look at Chelsea over the last probably 4 or 5 days they've had 2 off days they got away with it during the week against Watford and two shall even come out after the match and basically said they were very lucky but you have nights like that where you need a bit of luck and he was I suppose humble enough to admit that, but it certainly came unstuck at the weekend, and they didn't get, and they didn't get away with it because. I think a lot of credit must go to West Ham as well and obviously we spoke a lot about Moyes on the show here and he's doing an unbelievable job at West Ham and it was a difficult day for Chelsea. Uh, I thought the the third goal, Masawaka, was obviously a fluky goal but to be fair to West Ham, they probably deserved it on the day. Um, Chelsea at the moment, I think they're just maybe that week they're having a little bit of trouble with the injuries. Obviously Lukaku's only coming back and I think they need him back. He hasn't scored now and I think it's nine games but obviously he was injured. Uh, Injuries in the midfield as well, particularly with Kante and Kovacic. So um, I think they're just coming a little bit unstuck with those injuries at the moment but I'd still think I wouldn't worry too much about that in terms of them having a couple of off days. I still think they'll be there thereabouts come the end, Ruby. Uh, well, you've been preaching it for a long time, Alan, so I hope for your sake they are. Stephen Elliott's on the line as well. Stephen, would you agree that maybe frailties within Tuchel's squad are starting to show? Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think you gotta you got to give West Ham a little bit more credit though as well, Ruby. Um, they, they, they've been really good this year. They had a bit of a blip last week and people were probably thinking, is that West Ham done now? But they've came back this weekend against Chelsea, European champions, and showed everybody that they're not going anywhere. And they're a really they're a really good unit at West Ham and it's a very difficult place to go there and get get a result as as Liverpool found out earlier on in the season. So yeah, I think Chelsea are a little bit off the pace compared to where where they were early on in the season. But again, I don't think it's kind of alarm bells just yet. I still think there's a good squad there. I do agree with Alan. I think Lukaku he's not quite match fit and I think he'll be really important that they get him up to speed soon because he really is a key player for them. And again, only playing half a game, you would wonder where he's kinda where he is regarding injury-wise. But no, I wouldn't be too worried if I was Chelsea. But I think the three teams at the top, they're on the, in a league of their own. And I think it'll continue that way right until the end of the season. Stephen, you mentioned there, though, about West Ham. Like, obviously, uh, what was it, a draw against Brighton the previous day out, beaten by Manchester City, uh, beaten by Wolves, which I think is the shock of their results of late. But you look at it, two points clear of Spurs. They're in fourth place at the minute. Surely Moyes has to be banging the door of the owners down or the chief executive down saying do a little bit of business in January and we are more than capable of pressing on to be a Champions League qualifying team. 
Yeah, you, you, would th- you would think that, you, obviously, West Ham, nobody would have predicted that they would have been in this position at the, at the start of the season after this many games. But to be fair, they've knuckled down and, and they've got a real team spirit in their team. And you, you can sense everybody's really playing for each other. But again, you, whether they can keep her going right till the end of the season, I'm still a little bit unsure. you got the likes of Spores, Man United, Spores with Conte going in there. Now, you'd expect them to be a little bit more disciplined and to be, be a little bit more harder to be. Man United, obviously, after seeing them the weekend, they look like they've got a spring in their step again. And Arsenal will probably have something to say, although I do think Arsenal are a little bit behind. But yeah, I think you've got to be careful sometimes. Owners, obviously, don't want to get too carried away. But I do agree, if they, if they do splash a little bit of cash and it, it, a bit of cash, then they might kind of attract players because it's, it's a hell of a stadium, isn't it? The ground now, and it seems to be really kind of really bouncing with all the positive results. So now it'll be interesting to see what happens in January, but there's still a long way to go and there's some really top teams in around that fourth place position, Damien. Alan Stephen mentioned Spurs there. They beat Norwich 3-0 at the weekend. Harry Kane didn't score, but at least he threw a shape and some of the sparks seemed to reappear in him, did it? Yeah, I think so, Ruby, and I think that was always going to be the case once Conte came in because everybody was touting him, obviously, for the Man United job. I still think he should have went to Man United or if they were in, in for him, but um, he went to Spurs. We spoke a lot about Spurs, obviously, under Nuno, and they were really struggling, and they were really in a bad place. And even Conte, if you remember, two or three weeks ago, he basically come out and lambasted the players and I think it was more basically trying to say looking after himself in the sense that look I've inherited a bit of a mess here so it's going to take time this is not going to happen overnight but you look at the last three results they've obviously been very very good and I think the one thing he's addressed is those defensive issues and they've kept a couple of clean sheets now which we all would you know, expect with a Conte team but he's also brought that, brought that energy which we also expected in terms of what he puts on the players and the demands he puts on the players and you look at now they're up to fifth place obviously Damien's asking about West Ham I think it's wide open but the problem for all those teams uh, trying to get into that Champions League place is that they're only basically in competition for one slot because as Stephen said those other three are in a league of their own so they're guaranteed those three places so you have West Ham Spurs United Arsenal now effectively playing for one place I think for West Ham to get in there they do need reinforcements you look at Ogbonna got injured Zuma looks like he's injured as well and that's what's going to hurt them really because I don't think they have the squad so if they're going to finish in fourth and they've had a brilliant season and I really like David Moyes they do need reinforcement so my money would be on Spurs and United to get into that fourth place at the moment With the greatest respect in the world Spurs beat Norwich 3-0 who are bottom in the table the week before that they beat Brentford 2-0 who are Okay, twelfth in the table, mm. but they're no, you know, they're, they're no, no, but they, like Brent, Brentford's aim for the season is seventeenth or above, and then the weekend before that they played Leeds, who were hovering just before the relegation zone. So, yeah, is, but, it, is it far too early to read too much into? You know where you're at. Ah, no, I don't think. To be fair, they're teams you would expect them to beat, but I wouldn't have expected Spurs to beat those two teams four or five weeks ago because they were an absolute mess. Um, and we all saw obviously the performance against United and how bad they were. So I wouldn't have expected them to beat them as comfortably as they did four or five weeks ago. Since Conte has come in, as you say, Damien, they should be beating those teams. But the biggest thing I would take out of those two games is they have clean sheets, and that's where you have to build from. You look at United yesterday, and I know we're going to speak about them as well. But the same thing, that's the biggest thing I would take out of that is the clean sheet. Uh, I think it was their first one in 21 games and you have to build from there and set the foundations from from the back and build up from there and I think that was always going to be the case with Spurs so I wouldn't be getting carried away but when you think it was probably all doom and gloom around White Hart Lane only a few weeks ago they're sitting in fifth now on 25 points and they have a game in hand on the other four so it's, it's, it's time for them to start being a bit more I suppose optimistic and look forward 
Don't worry, Adam, we'll give you a go on United in a minute. But Stephen, <laughs> we'll go to City first. They're gone top. Uh, and I thought Phil Foden was outstanding. 3-1 was the scoreline against Watford. It could have been 6 or 7-1 in all, honestly. Yeah, yeah Man, Man City Man City looked like a real force at the moment. They obviously they pushed Jack Grealish into a different position there in kind of a more central area. And I think I think it suits him more in, in, in the City team playing in there. Rather, the way City played, the way they kind of moved the ball, I think he's more suited to playing that midfield role. Whereas I feel it, he was okay on either wing, kind of cutting in. But I think they're starting to see the best of Jack Grealish, and obviously alongside Phil Foden, who who's a who's a top class player, probably one of the best players in the Premier League, alongside his his teammate um, Bernardo Silva. I don't know whether you can say much more about him. He's been absolutely outstanding in recent weeks, and some of the finishing he's produced, even there on the weekend, I think even his fourth goal is really good finish, like the to, to spot that little gap in. in in front of the keeper and any second finish is just sublime and yeah City look like a real force and, and, and along with Liverpool I think City and Liverpool are slightly ahead of Chelsea at the moment they look like really tough teams to beat and, and you, you kind of think every time they come up against anybody you always expect to see goals and yeah City nah, they, they, they look like they're, they're really kind of in full speed ahead mode at the minute and Alan, when you did watch the players as Stephen has mentioned Grealish where he was playing at the weekend Foden, Bernardo Silva they look so hard to defend against their movement they're always moving yeah they're incredible and look we've spoken a lot about Guardiola everybody knows in terms of the level of a coach he is but the one thing I love about this City team and there was no De Bruyne as you said Bernardo Silva who's getting all the plaudits at the moment and rightly so but you look at Sterling and it's the work rate Ruby every one of them and that's what obviously Guardiola demands they're so good technically when they have the ball and you can't get it off them and as you said their movement and the fluency and the way they play and the attack and the chances that they create they always look like they're going to score but out of possession they're so good as well um, and that's what makes them as Stephen said the force they are at the moment but I think it's such a fascinating title race Liverpool as well obviously getting the late goal and Chelsea having a little bit of a dip but I think that's the way it's going to to and fro the whole season you're going to have spells where City Liverpool will go on four five six win, win, winning six games in a row whereas you'll have one of the teams might go through a little bit of a patch Um and I think that's the way it's going to play out over the course of the season and for us looking in as neutrals and obviously watching this and the level of football and the level of I suppose the standard that these teams are reaching week on week I think it's going to be an unbelievable title race The one thing Stephen just on City Raheem Sterling obviously getting the, got the scoring underway at the weekend um, early on which is probably quite a notable goal for him because when you look at that team of Galacticos at the Etihad he is the one that's been strongly linked with a, a move out in January and you'd have to wonder like firstly he'd walk into the vast amount of other teams and do, do you still think he could be the type of guy who could be on the move presumably because maybe things are not all well between himself and Guardiola if, if you believe the speculation yeah it's an interesting there was a lot of talk there over the last few weeks about is he is he going to move on in January I think there was talks of even Barcelona being in for him at one stage but the thing with Raheem Sterling the thing I always get where I mean, he never seems to let any of this kind of kind of noise outside of like his game and his training and his focus ever kind of affect him he seems to kind of just knuckle down and, and get on with the job and even if he is going through a bit of a barren spell he, he can still be effective in games but like like you see in the weekend he, he still has goals in him he gets himself into really good positions he'd probably look back on his career and think he should have scored a, a lot more goals because you always think about some of the chances he has missed but he does actually score a lot of goals as well alongside that but I think he's a phenomenal player Sterling he, he's so explosive and quick and, and hard you imagine 
imagine playing against him like as a defender you you, you wouldn't really know what way to show him and again you, some of the some of the players even sitting on Man City's bench must be looking on thinking we we've got a real lux, real luxury here and it's difficult to kind of get a prolonged kind of run in the team if somebody comes in and does well but the way he's playing at the moment I don't know I don't I don't I don't think he'd be in a rush to kind of to move on because I think he he would probably love to kind of maybe win another league with City and who knows Champions League that's something that still hasn't quite City still haven't quite got the grips with so maybe that's something that he has on a personal level to do that with Man City but I'd be I'd be very surprised if he does move on in January if I'm honest Damien It's interesting you bring him up Damien because I don't think Raheem Sterling gets the credit that he deserves uh, and like as Stephen said you think of I suppose when he's playing with England and sometimes he can get a bad press at times as well uh, about maybe his private life or whatever but he's such a brilliant strength of character because none of that affects him whereas when they signed Grealish obviously in the off season and they had Foden and Mares, it did look like he was going out the door coming off the back of being England's player of the tournament as well but again he's knuckled down it looks like he's changed Guardiola's mind because he's played now the last five or six in a row scoring as well uh, I don't think he'd be going anywhere to be honest with you Damon I think Raheem Sterling is a phenomenal player Alan speaking of strength of character what about Diego Jada how's his character going to be this morning <laughs> I think you would have even scored that one Ruby but the question I want to know <laughs> I is wouldn't be that sure now. would you have blasted it or would you just passed it into the corner I'd have passed it. Yeah, well, I don't know why he blasted it. Like, And you think of the form that he's in as well, Jota. He's been a revelation since he's gone to Liverpool. I don't know, was it a fact that he was going back to Molyneux and maybe that was playing on his mind in terms of trying too hard? I don't know. But when you think of the chance that he gets, and obviously he's running in on goal, Connor Cody, I suppose, does well just to get back on the line and hope for the best. But why he blasted it straight down the middle, I don't know, and he could just pass it into the corner. And he did miss a few chances, but I think Jota's been absolutely brilliant uh, since he's gone in at Liverpool. He's been a great sign and he's fitted in like a glove really into that uh, system and set up and what, what Klopp wants and we'll allow him one off day Stephen you'd have burst the net just for the pictures wouldn't you you know like just if, if it's going to be an easy goal you <laughs> yeah. go and make the most of it you know yeah, I think I think I agree with Alan. The form that he's in, you would expect him to score. But listen, everybody misses the chance now. Now again, everybody's human. I think I agree with Alan. His form has been really, really good this season for Liverpool. He scored some great goals, notably the one as well last week in the Merseyside derby. But he'll be an important player for Liverpool, obviously with the lads going away if the African Nations Cup goes ahead. So he'll be very important. But I'm sure he's professional enough. He's good enough to kind of not let her affect him too much. But I'm sure he, I'm sure he gave... Big Divock Origi a few high fives in the dressing room anyway just for good measure after the game Alan I mean if that was United getting a goal in the 90 plus 4 minute they'd be up in arms how come there's no no, Fergie time in this Liverpool (laughs) I know always the bitter word go on Alan to be fair to Liverpool um, look they're absolutely brilliant side as we know and they did miss a hat full of chances and, but to just keep going and keep going and to be fair to Origi I looked at some of his stats over the weekend I think he's there six years and I think he's only played 34 matches or started 34 which is phenomenal really and you, you think of players uh, and how selfish players are in, in terms of them wanting to play every match or be involved or if you're left out of a team how annoyed you might be yet he seems to be quite happy with the role that he plays and he's become a Liverpool legend really when you think of the Champions League winning goal obviously he's come off the bench at the weekend and scores a huge goal as well away to Wolves um, and it's just interesting I, I, I don't know if, if anyone ever asked him or was interested Klopp came out afterwards and says he loves him but I just can't play him every week and he won't be playing every week but, but he absolutely loves him but I'd love if someone asked 
Origi the question himself and just in terms of was it ever in his mind to go out and play somewhere because if you think of him obviously in the job that he's doing at Liverpool he could easily go out and be the main man at a Brighton or a, maybe um, an Aston Villa or Newcastle or wherever the, the likes of that might be because he's done really really well for Liverpool but when you consider he's only played a, a handful of games over the five or six years it's mad really but, but Stephen when you look at it like Alan's touching on it there that he, he you know you could go and start for a team that let's be very honest would be much closer to the bottom of the Premier League than the top of the Premier League he's won a Premier League a Champions League a Super Cup a World Club Cup a League Cup and finished sorry runner up in the League Cup runner up in the Europa League Like, but how much did he contribute to them? sure he scored yeah many, the big one on. the Champions League but yeah, the other yeah, ones but I think, yeah I just think though with Origi like everybody always asks this question why is he there but I think he's been on loan a couple of times but why would you want to move he's probably, exactly. probably he's been there since he was kind of a young lad and when he moved over to the UK he's probably settled in the area Listen, Liverpool, we're talking about Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world here. Do you know what I mean? Winning trophies, coming on, scoring important goals, creating a legacy for himself that will that will be remembered forever. So I don't see why he would want to move on as long as the manager is continually using him whatever way he needs to use him. And he is a part of the plan there. He always appears in games. And if, if Klopp needs needs a goal, he seems to be that go-to man. And now I don't think he'd be in a rush to move. Like he's he, Again, he's playing with world-class players and training every day and... Yeah, no, I, I, I sometimes wonder when people say that, why do you want to move? Like, I don't know, he, he still plays enough time. Liverpool play in the... the he, gives, he gets game time in the cup games and he does make a few appearances. Obviously, he's, he's not at the level of the likes of Salah, Mane, Jota, Firmino and them boys. But no, I still think he does a part for him to play in Liverpool. And listen, if he's happy enough to do what he's doing, I don't think Liverpool are going to get anybody much better to do what he's doing to come in and, and be happy to do that. So no, I think it's a, it's a funny one for me. I, I don't think the question needs to be asked. If you're playing at Liverpool and an important player, and I, I wouldn't be in a rush now. Maybe that's coming from me being a Liverpool fan growing up. But no, I think it's uh, no, I think he's happy enough there. He's played. He's he scored twenty one goals in a hundred and three Premier League games. Twenty one Premier yeah, League goals in a hundred and three Premier League games. Thirty nine goals in a hundred and sixty six games for Liverpool. That is uh, some. That's that's a that's some hit rate. Yeah, and to be fair, he has done really well. I'm not suggesting that he should leave. Basically, I'm asking the question of a fella who's been there for so long, but only plays a handful of games. I would love to know his view on it, his opinion. That's basically what I'm suggesting. But he's the modern day David Fairclough. Oh, he's better. Will you take a Solskjaer and I don't want to bring him up again I gave him enough mentions on this show over the last few weeks <laughs> poor Ollie I wonder how he's getting on but you think of Solskjaer I suppose his contribution at United and he was known for that type of player as well and coming off the bench and scoring so look maybe there's a role for him uh, and as Stephen said if he's happy doing it Origi which he obviously is and that was a massive goal and he's, he's actually like when you think about I suppose with the Liverpool fans I know of course if you score a Champions League winning goal of course you'll be a hero but he probably is Hero status in, in Liverpool. Oh, he is, yeah. Well, I think Klopp hit the nail on the head, didn't he, there the weekend when he was asked about him? He was saying uh, somebody needs to write a book about him, and if they don't, I'll write one on him. So that's how much Klopp kind of likes him. I think there is a massive story there, and I, I don't know, he's a bit of a cult hero, isn't he? Well, he's got a good strike rate anyway. If he was a jockey, he'd be fairly successful. Um, but Alan, we've got to go to United now. And I'd say Ollie is fine. I'd say he's just looking at his bank balance there, checking the seven million every now and then. <laughs> I said it's not a bother on him, but obviously it was a big weekend. What did you make of him? Yeah, it was a huge weekend and obviously the new manager coming in. I was really intrigued and I am intrigued going forward in terms of we've heard so much about this 
coach effectively and his approach and obviously the German coaches who were unbelievable speak so highly of him as well so I'm really interested in terms of what he can do with this Man United group of players because we've all seen them over the last 18 months and you know my feelings on the previous regime and how bad it was and the players effectively underperforming but so badly coached and poorly coached as well when you think of the other top teams so I'm so intrigued just to see what this fella can do and you look at the first game yesterday and it was interesting he's already made a couple of changes I didn't think much would change overnight I think he only had them on the training pitch on Friday but the one thing for me I mentioned it earlier um, the big thing was obviously keeping the clean sheet but you think of how high everybody speaks about the pressing but the one thing if you look at how high the back four were and prepared to be literally on the not only on the half line but basically going into the other the opposing team's half of the pitch as well in that kind of high press that it's the whole team trying to win it back and also he changed obviously he had Fred and McTominay but it was almost like he had a two ahead of that and another two someone up alongside Ronaldo because we all know the narrative around Ronaldo and people saying he doesn't press or he can't press or will he press I, I said to you last week Ruby I have absolutely no problems in terms of Ronaldo because if you have a player as good as him you have to fit a system around him he's that good and look at how, how much he's contributed already to that team so for me Ronaldo was never the issue it was basically trying to get a system to suit to suit him um, and I think that's what we saw yesterday again as Damien mentioned I suppose the same point probably applies to the fact that it's Crystal Palace I wouldn't get too carried away it's one win but I'm really really intrigued in terms of going forward about what this but coach can do with that group some of the coverage and again I'm not a United fan so I'll bow to your expertise and Ruby's view on this but some of the coverage has been ridiculous in what like, sense well I, I, I read a headline yesterday you know Rannick does what Klopp and Tuchel could never do he won his first game as a manager which they didn't do <laughs> You'd swear he'd yeah, revolutionised the game by playing the formation facts, that he played. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, but come here, like, talk about building you up for a fall. Like, Jesus, it's one game. He's only there for six months, it won't be that far of a fall. He played... He, Although, listening to him, Ruby, it's interesting you say that. Listening to him the other day in the press conference, I wonder, does he fancy a bit longer? Does and he fancy it? Absolutely. He has his feet under yeah, that desk, and absolutely. they are not going to shift him in the summer, irrespective of what happens. Well, hopefully, so, if he's on, doing well, he won't have to shift him. But, exactly. Wait, sorry, if you're a Man United fan, you hope he leads them like a steam train between now and the end of the season and it's not a problem but what if they plod along and he's got this consultancy gig and all of a sudden they decide in the summer we're going to bring somebody else in to manage the team and in the same way that Ferguson was hanging like a villain looking out from a tower over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you're going to have Raniak sitting in the boardroom looking out at this new manager who comes in he'll be undermined straight away because again what on paper seems to be a great idea the first opportunity he had at the weekend Ruby he came out and said in six months time I might recommend that I'm the man to stay on mm. I think he does fancy it Maybe he will be. Stephen, what would you do? Yeah, well, I actually, I was speaking to a friend of mine earlier on today about this point, and I asked, the, I was speaking about him, and I'm saying, if he actually comes in and does well, then why on earth would you want to get somebody else? If Man United finish in the top four, and they, they maybe kind of go, I don't know, do all right in Europe, or I don't know, go far in the Champions League, then he's not, I think Man United fans would be thinking, do you know what, why would we want to get rid of him? I think it's a strange kind of title to have anyway, interim manager until somebody else comes in. I, I, the way I look at it is, he's, he's there till the end of the season. If he does well, no matter what he's titled, then he's going to be in that job next year. And I don't think he would disagree with me or any Man United fans would disagree for that matter. I think if he comes in, does, does the job required, then there's no way he's going to be moving. That's, that's the way I see it. And, and he has Norwich next weekend. 
Yeah, there's a lot of winnable games, Ruby, which would be good for him because he can build momentum straight away there. Like we spoke about Conte beating Brentford and Norwich. If he wins 3-4 on the bounce, uh, he made a good start, obviously, yesterday. Again, I go back to the fact that a clean sheet, he spoke about having more control in games because you think of Man United, not only the concession of goals and how poor they are, they've already conceded 24, but the amount of chances they offer up in games as well. Even looking at the game against Arsenal, uh, and it was a shadow of the two teams of the great United and Arsenals we used to watch. And you look at that game the other night, and both of them were so average so he spoke a lot about that uh, in having control in the games I, I I would be of the view yeah like I think listening to him he really fancies this job and I'm just really intrigued in terms of what he can do with the group of players what I, th- what I like about him as well and maybe what was different with Solskjaer as well in, in some of the interviews he speaks so well and gets that message across he's obviously a very good communicator hence him being on all these coaching uh, course what is it the coaching the coach voice thing and seminars yeah. and all this stuff but he does speak very very well and even you listen to Bruno Fernandes I think afterwards was saying about that the manager pulled him there was a lot of one-on-one discussions in terms of what he wants from the players so I think the players will have a far better understanding of what this manager wants compares to the, the shambles of what was before Stephen can I ask you a question as a former professional footballer right because surely you've had situations in dressing rooms where you don't fancy the manager things have gone horribly wrong and some poor colleague goes out to do media and ends up having to say positive things because if you don't your persona non gratis within the dressing room so what's that like in a dressing room perspective when like okay United won at the weekend but like the players coming out to defend Solskjaer the last couple of weeks they couldn't believe half of what it was they were saying that it's it's that impossible dynamic Stephen isn't it? Yeah it's one of them it's as a player you, you kind of Listen, players aren't stupid. They're, they're, they're aware when results and performances aren't aren't where they should be. But when you're kind of put out to do that job, the, the majority of players are going to go out there and they're going to kind of... I think the, the press people at the clubs will kind of t- tell players, not tell them what to say, but they kind of say, listen, be careful what you're saying regarding the manager. And I think Oli, Oli Solskjaer over the past few weeks, I think he's obviously he's a Man United legend first and foremost, but I think he's a nice guy and I think the players, which I think was probably partly the problem, he was too nice a guy. I just never felt that he had that kind of listen I'm not saying you need to rule with an iron fist as a manager because you got to get the balance right of being being a kind of players manager and having that little bit of a fear factor and I just couldn't see that with the characters in that Man United squad and, and the players and the and I just couldn't see Oli kind of commanding the respect probably respect probably isn't the right word but that kind of aura about him in the dressing room where players will kind of feel like they have to kind of go out and do what they say otherwise what's the consequences oh Oli might do you know what I mean? I never felt like that. There was that fear factor, and I think with this guy coming in, it's a new face, somebody away that hasn't been part of the club before. So he's obviously got good stock in the game. A lot of top managers have kind of bigged him up before he's gone in there. But no, it's 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 one of them. I think the players have reacted well the weekend, and I don't know. I, I think Man United. It's still it's still a lot of work to do for Man United to get where they need to be regarding the the three teams above them that they, they want to be chasing. But it was a good start yesterday, and they did play with that little bit more intensity, which tells me that the players were were kind of want to impress this manager. Whereas in previous weeks, I think they just felt they were kind of going through the motions a little bit, probably subconsciously. But I think it's a good good move all around to get get Oli out of the club and. Uh, the players don't have to kind of come out and kind of speak about a fella they like, kind of right, maybe not speaking the whole truth. And I think it was just a just a weird one. In the end, he probably was in there for a little bit longer than he needed to be. Oh, I believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. But Alan Everton are playing Arsenal tonight at eight o'clock. They got hammered in the Merseyside derby during the week, and they could do it a result. I think if he loses tonight he'd be sacked, Ruby. Uh, I watched the game last week, obviously, and they got annihilated by Liverpool. Now Liverpool 
lots of teams get annihilated by Liverpool how good they are but the fact that it was a Merseyside derby and the manner in which they lost as well and they could have been four down after ten minutes um, you look at the, the run of games I think it's the last eight they've lost six and they've only drawn two so he's on a horrendous run the last win they had was back in the 25th of September I think it was against Norwich to beat them 2-0 so he's under serious pressure Benitez added with the fact that the fans didn't want him at the start because of the Liverpool links as well so that just compounds it for him and I think if he doesn't get a victory tonight he could be gone but the club is a basket case it and is like if, yeah. you, if you look at it there's no youth policy the recruitment has been horrendous mm-hmm. the signings have all been below par you've had in certain parts of the team an ageing squad that haven't been replaced so there's only so much of it can fall on Benitez's shoulders but, the, but it will always fall on his shoulders and for all those problems that they have Damien there were problems that were there long before him whereas you look at him and he's gone in he's gone in to manage the first team and get results and try and fix those things along the way maybe um, but ultimately his job is to get results and he's not getting results and he's absolutely but struggling at the moment I think today was, was there a director of football not kind yeah. of sacked today who spent all this money on all these players so maybe maybe the kind of board are looking at that and thinking Do you know what maybe the manager isn't the problem do we need to get somebody in that brings a better quality of player in for the, for the money they're spending so I don't. I don't know whether. I, I don't know if I totally agree with Alan. Whether if he loses tonight, he'll be sacked. I know that the, the crowd aren't totally happy. They think he's a Liverpool man, but I still think there's a few injuries in that Everton team. The the the, the kind of were missing like Calvin uh, Lewin is probably the biggest miss for them. He's the kind of focal point. He's the main man. He gets the goals. He's a goal threat. To lose somebody like him is a big loss. So I still think that Everton are. They need to get a few players back. And I'd be listen. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Everton go out and win to, win tonight because I think Benitez. He's a very good tactical manager and he'd be working hard over the, the past few days to try and kind of think of a way to be this Arsenal team but I, I don't know whether he will be sacked if he lose now I still think there's, there's things going on beyond the manager that, 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 that need to be fixed first Stephen we've run out of time so I don't have the opportunity to ask you about Newcastle's resurgence which I know as a, South, a Sunderland man you'll be very happy to have seen that so we'll leave that for another day <laughs> no problem yeah see there he goes resurgence one win I know yeah but I like winding Stephen up Um, (laughs) text in for you from Brian Smith someone in an Arsenal jersey must have bullied Alan as a child they could win the Champions League and he'd still run them down if you think Spurs United or West Ham have a better chance of top four than Arsenal you're deluded the three teams he says there are better than Arsenal sorry Brian Uh, yeah, and if you Alan Colley had his way, he'd sack both managers that are in charge today. <laughs> no, no, I will look. The jury's very much out on Arteta, yeah, but I do think Benitez is struggling, Ruby. I really do. Anyway, thanks a million, Alan. We're okay. going to take a quick break. Dinners made easy with Green Farm's high protein cooked chicken breast fillets range. Available in selected stores nationwide. Game on. Check out the podcast on the RT Radio Player app. And you're very welcome back to the programme. We're going to chat Formula One next. Um, if you didn't, if you had not been consumed by the Formula One championship, you probably should for uh, the final race, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix next weekend. You've got a situation where Max Verstappen, 369.5 points, level on top of the driver standings with Lewis Hamilton. And coming off the back of the most remarkable Formula One Grand Prix we've had in quite some time, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which took place uh, yesterday, um, was certainly go down in history I think is one. it's certainly the most remarkable race of the season the most remarkable race in quite some time the two championship rivals uh, four flashpoints between them they did collision there was murder going on in the pit lane there were time penalties left right and centre and Declan Quigley who has uh, commentated on Formula 1 and motorsport for um, so many years this is exactly what 
any sport needs, Declan, doesn't it? A culmination like this, loads of drama, loads of controversy, and it sets it up brilliantly now for the final weekend. Uh, look, it was amazing. It really was the most extraordinary race. It was certainly the best ever penultimate Formula One race that I've ever seen to it in, 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 in all the years that I've been watching. And it really does set it up for the, for the final event. I mean, 20, 21 races into this season. I mean, they talk about the drive to survive effect in, in motor racing. If they're in Formula One, everybody's coming into. And if you haven't watched Formula One in the past, suddenly you've become aware of it because of this Netflix series. And, uh, well, that race went on longer than Drive to Survive's entire season, didn't it? It was just how many different stoppages were there. I think it was with adding four virtual safety cars, a couple of red flags. I think there were six different chapters or episodes to the to the race. And you've got a situation where you've got the young pretender, 24 years of age, uh, uh, Max Verstappen, up against the, the old stager, 36, um, Lewis Hamilton. They've got easily the best cars on the grid, but they are streets ahead of their teammates and they are at a different level to the, to the rest of the grid. And it's, it's making it a really fascinating match between them. So, Declan, is it the rivalry that the sports needed or is it just papering over the cracks of the fact that you've got the top two and then God knows who'll be wherever else? No, I think this is uh, this is an exceptional pairing that you've got. I mean, uh, you know, theoretically, there are a few other drivers that you could put in the mix if they were in those automobiles. But I think in, in the history of Formula One, you've usually only ever seen one or two teams. I mean, there are very often one team dominates for years. That's how, that's happened with Mercedes. Now we're coming to the end of this particular series of set of rules and regulations, and Red Bull have got themselves organised enough that they're almost around about on a par with Mercedes. Some weeks they're better, some weeks they're not so good. And um, I, I actually think this is kind of as good as it gets, and it's the best thing that could have happened to Formula One because, as you say, a lot of people have come in and become aware of the sort of soap opera element and the nitty gritty and the behind the scenes uh, uh, understanding of the soap opera of Formula One because of Drive to Survive. Now they're actually seeing that there's a great sporting contest to uh, to sort of match the, the the hype that's come from the series. So I think it's, uh, no, I, I don't agree with those that say that there's not enough competitiveness between all the teams on the grid. I looked at the qualifying one teams uh, from Saturday, uh, times from Saturday, and the, the entire grid of 20 cars is covered by 1.9 seconds. That's really, really tight and competitive. But there is definitely a step up between the leading Mercedes and the leading uh, Red Bull. This battle between Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, it's sort of reminiscent of Senna and Mansell. I'm watching them on Sunday or last night, the last 20-odd oh, laps, Verstappen is in front, he's to let Hamilton buy him, he gets back in front. It's just, it is really, gets you into it. Oh, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily tight. And you had a situation where the cars were, there's virtually nothing to choose between them on lap time, but there was a definite advantage on the, in the first sector for the, for the Red Bull with Max Verstappen. They'd more downforce and they went well in that bit. And then the second two sectors, that went, went it suited... Hamilton with his uh, big engine advantage with the Mercedes. So you had a, a situation where they were yeah, ebbing and flowing across the balance of a lap and it was all amounting to very much the same thing. Dense tyres, dense tactics. Then you had the politics. You had the having to... I mean, Max Verstappen has Lewis Hamilton rattled. There's no doubt about it. A, Hamilton does not want to have to overtake Max Verstappen on the track because he believes that Max Verstappen's going to do something illegal. Now, he's not beyond doing the odd little crafty manoeuvre himself, but some of the stuff that went on yesterday, particularly, I think, with Verstappen, he really, he felt, with an eight-point lead going into the second last, last race, that if he crashed and, and, and Hamilton crashed, it was to his advantage. Um, he'll think the same thing 
going into Abu Dhabi. And with that kind of a psychological edge over Hamilton, Hamilton knows that he simply has to finish in Abu Dhabi, one way or another. He simply has to finish it because if if um, if, Ham- if uh, Verstappen, uh, you know, it, it, okay, so who, whichever one of them is ahead at the end of that Grand Prix will be the winner of the championship. It's, it's, it's down to basic brass tacks. And Hamilton knows that he must finish, whereas Verstappen knows that if the two of them don't finish, he's going to be the champion. And that's a hell of a psychological edge. Now, you've, you've, hit, you've led me down a very cynical road, Declan, but I'm thinking back to heroes against villains in recent times, and you've Schumacher against Villeneuve, you've Schumacher against Hill, uh, Prost against Senna. There's been a couple of these unfortunate comings together which have ultimately ended up defining the championship in favour of one driver. Now, the cynic in me would wonder, first corner in Abu Dhabi next weekend, if uh, Verstappen gets his driving line wrong and happened to run into Hamilton, uh, wouldn't that be an unfortunate occurrence for uh, Verstappen's favour? It certainly would, and you can be absolutely certain that the stewards will have the two of them in, and uh, particularly Max Verstappen, and they'll be wagging the finger at him. But he'll say he might be just thinking, well, you know, if we both go off the first corner, job done, and that's happened, as you mentioned, 1990 Suzuka, um, a very aggrieved Ayrton still kind of annoyed about what happened in Suzuka the previous year, where Prost pretty clumsily took out. Uh, um, Ayrton Senna, Prost won the title, so he said, well, you know, he, he did a really, really dangerous thing at Suzuka in 1990, did uh, Ayrton Senna, it was pretty ugly. And it was an ugly time, you know, you, you ran from sort of 89 through to 97, and there was a number of final race deciders that were pretty nasty, as you mentioned, 94, uh, Adelaide, Schumacher and Hill, uh, Schumacher's hobbled car, he cleans down and Hill out of it you know, wins the title, that was nasty. In 97, he tried something similar with, uh, with Jack Villeneuve, didn't work out. And that, I think, you know, the results and what the stewards and what the FIA and their court of appeal afterwards came up with, I think, could be the key to uh, sort of informing how this one's going to go next week. Because uh, at that time, Schumacher, Villeneuve won the title, but Schumacher finished second in the championship. But the FIA took such a really dim view of the way that he behaved on track in that particular race in Jerez. They, they eliminated him and took away all his points from the 1997 World Championship. Now, basically, for Michael Schumacher, it didn't make a huge difference to him. He only finished second. However, the precedent there that they can actually go in and say, no, we're going to take all your points away. I mean, literally, they, you know, that will surely temper any sort of uh, uh, over-enthusiasm, I would have thought, from, from uh, Max Verstappen. Still, though, I think you have to think that Max Verstappen at 24, everything... Car DNA is I, I will shove the nose in where it's not wanted. I'm willing to take chances. I'm willing to take risks. I'm, you know, I haven't won the title yet. I want to win it. And he, he might be just feeling a little bit over eager. We've seen that from him in the past. It's worth recording that in the since they brought in the penalty point system in Formula One in 2014, he has recorded the most amount of penalty violations, and he's got uh, the most this season as well. He's got seven points, I think, to Sonoda's eight. But he's he's certainly more likely to be up before the beak uh, at some stage in the season than any other driver, and that's the way he likes to play. He's got this slightly arrogant air about him, um, not never necessarily a bad thing for a potential. Formula One world champion, but um, but I think that uh, Lewis Hamilton, if he finds he has to try and overtake Max Verstappen on the track to win that world championship, that eighth world title that he so desperately wants, because it means that he'll have all the records alone. So and that's what he wants. Um, then he's going to have a big old headache. I tell you what, he won't want to go around the outside of Verstappen. That's for sure. It'll make qualifying very interesting. Declan Quigley, thanks for giving us the update. We're going to take another quick break. 
WFM with Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Game on. One fence left to jump, and it's Alaho the leader. Steadies into it. Couple of lengths in front of Shannadale, and then Mellon inside the final 150 yards. It's Alaho all out from Shannadale. Alaho will win, and he sees the reappearance. The John Durkin Memorial punches down Grade One chase from Shannadale. That short clip only describes half the drama, I think, and Patrick Mullins joins us on the line after riding Alaho to victory yesterday. Patrick, a very well done, but you probably got a little lucky, did you? Yeah, yes, Ruby. Yeah, it wasn't um it wasn't easy. Um he was jumping like he was underwater some of the times. He was out to the left, he was a bit slow. Um and the third last a steering for launch to come up my inside. And I was pretty sure I was beat. Um but a steering for launch got the third last wrong, um, put Brian Cooper on the ground and Alaho was tough and game from there on in and grounded out. He most certainly grounded out. Obviously, there was a couple of fences omitted because of the low line. So, on. did that turn it into a more of a battle or a slog than maybe you had intended it to be? Well, I, you know, um, Alaho, you know, when Rachel Batmore rode him in the Ryanair in Cheltenham, she went a strong gallop all the way. So, I wanted it to be a uh, a test. Um, and yeah, what having not having the fences down the back probably made it more so that. But I think that suited Alaho. Um, in the way the race ended up. He was the first leg, obviously, of a double for both yourself and Willie yesterday. Fernie Hollow won the beginner's chase. He's touted as an Arkle horse. Would you see him as that? Yeah, he could well be. Um, now, look, he's a Westerner. He won a champion bumper and uh, he won a point of point. So all those things suggest stamina. Uh, he has plenty of it, but he's not slow. He won a champion bumper coming from behind and he beat Bob Ollinger as well in a sprint finish last year um, he didn't fence particularly well early on but he was in front he was on his own he was being a bit idle and over the last four of them we really started the, rent, the race um, he's been sharp and electric so he definitely can jump well enough when the when the speed is up Yeah you were fairly rattling down to the last yourself and Rachel Blackmore and Coursu Sublime. how confident going to a warrior that he was going to get himself in the front to the back of it um, very no he'd, we'd gone down the, last, the second last upsize we'd both met a long winged it uh, Rachel hit me a good thump between the, the two the last two just to make sure my fellow was uh, awake and uh, I was from five or six strides away I could see my fellow uh, calculating the fence and he got he got over it pretty quick made a length in the air and away with him Enogramim was a good winner of the Hillyway chase in Cork were you as impressed with him as I was? very much so um, I think of all our horses around the weekend, he could be the one that has the most scope for improvement fitness-wise. Um, obviously, Notebook had an advantage of a run and they tried to use that by taking him on and going a real strong gallop all the way. And Notebook just was just broke and Energy Mean just kept going. It was it was probably the best performance of the weekend, I thought. Yeah, they were the, the highlights. Obviously, Saturday you were in Sandown for the Tinkle Creek and Shaq and Pursuit didn't put up much of a show. No, very disappointing. Um, you know, he, even at the second fence when he should have winged it, he's put down and from the fourth fence on, I knew my fate. He wasn't taking me forward. He wasn't jumping, making ground in the air. Um, and, you know, he's, he's obviously ran too bad to be true. And um, we got him home. He's a, a bit sore behind. 
Um, but it doesn't appear to be anything too serious. Uh, he's walking away. So, look, it uh, it was disappointing, but disappointment uh, disappointment is um, you know it it goes away, and uh, the next day was better. Yeah, it is part of the game. Obviously, the other one that got beaten at a long odds on was Kilcrut. Anything come to light with him, or did he just run into a really good horse? No, he came back and he seems fine. Um, he might possibly run into a very good horse, and uh, you know, I do think I do think he'll come on for it. I don't think that was Kilcrut at his best, but um, I think the winner could be quite good. Yeah. Yeah, you surely looked quite good to me, Patrick. We didn't have much time. Thanks a million for taking our call. Myself and Damien O'Mara will be back again tomorrow evening. Connor Bean is up next. I think we're out of time, Damien, are we? We are, yeah. It's actually, it's Tara is on the way, rather than, Tara. in case Connor's listening in it's and gets the, to Friday night. It's on my script here. Connor Bean yeah, is no, up next. Yeah, no, it's definitely Tara. <laughs> Sorry, Tara. No, anyway, Tara's on the way. We'll chat to you tomorrow. Good luck. Green Farm. Have your dinner ready in a flash with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. Available in selected stores nationwide. Two.